Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday to you. I was almost late today. <laughs> I wasn't late. I was actually here. But you know how it is? Like I looked at my watch and thought, I got a few minutes before 10 with 10. I'll, I'll do this other thing. And I got to doing the other thing and I totally forgot. <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm really that kind of doofus. I could literally forget that I'm supposed to do 10 with 10 sitting at my desk you know, ready to do 10 with 10. But anyway, you know, at the last minute, I'm like, oh. <laughs> you know, oh no. So here I am. Uh, it's 10 o'clock. I made it. You made it. I'm glad you're with me. Uh, we are in Acts chapter 23 today, and, and I'm loving this. I, I know some some of you may perhaps just begin to find this extended narrative a little tedious. Um, it's like a, an episode of Law and Order that just keeps on going, <laughs> just keeps on going, you know, because Paul is now in custody and is just being passed from one council, from one official to the other. Uh, and that's pretty much the way the book of Acts continues. But Acts 23 has several nuggets, and I just want to point your attention to some things I find really interesting. First off, verse 1. Uh, again, Paul is brought before the high council, before the, 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 the Sanhedrin, who, which is, of course, led by the high priest. Uh, the uh, commanding officer, this Roman tribune, is still more or less in charge. He's in charge of keeping the peace in Jerusalem, but every time you know he turns Paul loose, there's a near riot, and and the, the tribune understands the importance of keeping the peace, but now he also understands that Paul is a Roman citizen, so he must be granted his rights and protected and treated uh, with utmost respect and uh, and concern for his rights. And so he brings them back to the council, brings them to the high council, just trying to figure out what the charge is. He has no real idea at all why Paul is in so much trouble with the Jews. Uh, the high, high council here is going to do their deliberations in Aramaic. So how the tribune knows, it would have been typical Roman practice to have a translator present so that the tribune could, could follow what's happening, but we don't know. That's really not something Luke bothers to tell us. So at any rate, Paul stands before the, the Sanhedrin and he says, uh, right off the bat, you know, he says, brothers, I've always lived before God with a clear conscience all the way up to today. It's what he says. I have a clear conscience. Now, that sounds like an okay thing to say. <laughs> I mean, he's trying to say I'm innocent. I haven't done anything wrong. But the council, and particularly the high priest, they recognize right away that if Paul's saying, I have a clear conscience, I am in God's favor, that automatically that is a, a kind of blasphemy. But because if Paul is in God's favor, that means the high priest and the council are out of God's favor. Do, do you see that? Well, if you don't, the high priest did. The high priest immediately recognized that Paul had just insulted, and again, in his mind, it was probably a kind of blasphemy for this, you know, follower of, you know, Jesus, you know, this this false Messiah in their minds to say, I have God's favor, you know, I have a clear conscience. You know, instantly, it, it is uh, in some way meant to bear witness against the high priest and the court. And so the high priest orders to have him smacked. Um, Paul immediately, immediately comes back with, God's going to slap you. I mean, you know, he's, you know he has him slapped, and Paul just says, God's going to slap you, you whitewashed wall, you know, kind of judge you to break the law. But because, indeed, for the high priest to order Paul to be slapped, that, that sort of a punishment when there's been no 
deliberation. There's actually been no charge, you, you know. And so Paul recognizes that, you know, you call yourself a judge, you know, that you seem to have no concern for the law. I mean, Paul just gives it to him, and I'm there for it. I, I, I kind of love that. But then notice, the one sitting next to Paul said, what, what kind of idiot are you? You're going to insult the high priest? And Paul said, I didn't know he was a high priest. <laughs> That's just funny. Uh, what does that mean? I mean, people don't really understand. Paul says, I'm sorry, I didn't know he was a high priest. Like, like what? You know, like, how can you not know? Uh, my theory, and, and I'm not the first one to say this, uh, most people recognize that after the Damascus Road uh, when Paul is struck blind and, and then Ananias, of course, comes and lays hands upon him and he is, his sight is regained. But some people feel like his sight didn't come all the way back, uh, that Paul probably had some sort of eye disease or eye uh, problem for the rest of his life. I mean, he's standing right here, you know, close enough for the high priest to smack him, but he doesn't really know who the high priest is. He It's like he can't make out who the... Because you'd know. Now, anybody with eyeballs would be able to look and see who is in charge of this proceeding, you know? So for Paul, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know I was talking to the high priest. That, that's really interesting. And again, most likely uh, a sign that Paul himself has very, very compromised eyesight. In, in his letters that, you know, throughout the rest of the ministry or the rest of the New Testament, in Paul's letters, you get hints of that sometimes. Like the end of his letters when sometimes, again, it's lost when we're reading it in a, you know, in a book, you know, you know, professionally, you know, typed and, and laid out. Paul's handwritten letters, you get the sense, you know, that, you know, when at the end of those, he would say, look, look at what large letters that I write with my own hand. You know, Paul's making reference to his own handwriting and saying, you know, look how big of letters I draw. You know, it suggests again that Paul had to write very large because his eyesight was so bad. Anyway, I've talked too long about that. Understand what I'm saying though? Paul's like, I, I didn't know he was a high priest. You know, what are you blind? And the answer is probably, he's probably a, a little bit blind. And then Paul says, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. The scriptures say, don't speak evil of any of your rulers. So Paul immediately sort of takes that back. And then here's Paul. I love this. Paul, he ain't dumb, you know. So Paul realized he knows who the council is. I mean, Paul's one of them, right? I mean, he was a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. And Paul recognizes, hmm, this council is made up, you know, about two-thirds Sadducees and about a third Pharisees. The Pharisees were the minority, but they're certainly there. And so Paul just has this brilliant idea to stir up, you know, chaos in the court. Basically, get them to fight with each other and they'll forget to fight with him. And it's exactly what he does. And it's brilliant. You got to love Paul here. So Paul just says, hey, brothers, did I mention I'm a Pharisee? You know, did I, did I happen to mention I'm a Pharisee? Uh, all of my ancestors, my granddaddies, you know, my, both my grandfathers were all, everybody's a Pharisee in my family. Um, and I'm on trial because of my hope of the resurrection of the dead. Okay. Pharisees believed in the resurrection. Sadducees didn't. That's all you need to know. Pharisees believe in the resurrection. So Paul just breathes here and says, that I'm I'm a Pharisee. And as a matter of fact, I think the only reason I'm here is because I believe in the resurrection. So then every Pharisee in the room says, well, I believe in the resurrection too. And the Sadducees say, what are you talking about? And so then the Sadducees and Pharisees start fighting about the resurrection and they forget all about Paul. And, and it gets so crazy again that the commander, the, the, the tribune, same poor guy, has to haul Paul out again because he's afraid he's going to get killed inside that room. Understand, at this point, his 
primary role is protecting Paul. Early on, you know, he's ready to beat him himself, but now he knows he's a Roman citizen and he's got to protect him. So he takes him out of this room that's now going crazy. Again, that's brilliant. Paul just, just you know, he just threw a stink bomb into the middle of the, <laughs> the Sanhedrin. So now they're fighting about resurrection and Paul sneaks out the back door. Um, I love verse 11. Paul has this vision of Jesus. How many has he had now? I mean, I just love the way Jesus keeps coming back to Paul and saying, you're my boy. You know, you're my boy. Uh, you have been a witness for me here in Jerusalem. Has he though? I mean, you know, yes, of course he has. But, you know, is, is this what you pictured when you, you think you're going to be a witness? Because most of the time, you know, he's spent in custody. Most of the time he's spent getting beat you know, or running for his life. But Jesus himself says, you've been a witness for me here. And uh, I, I need you to, to be a witness in Rome in Rome as well. You know, so again, you, you know the map now. You know exactly where Acts is leading. Paul's going to go to Rome. Um, Jesus just said, I need you there. And, and so the, the story continues. There's this plot to kill Paul. Forty of these Jews, like, they ain't got nothing to do. It's like they don't even have jobs. All, all they can think about is we're not going to eat or drink nothing until we kill Paul. It, it's called an, uh, it's called an uh, uh, anathema. Uh, in other words, what they're saying is, you know, I will be cursed. Let me, let me, let me, let, let my life be ended if, if I don't kill Paul. You know, I mean, that's it. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a curse upon themselves. Um, and it's a very serious kind of vow. Forty of them take it, so they're going to kill him. So it's, it's, like, it's like a movie, y'all. They have this plan. Hey, call Paul back to the Sanhedrin. Act like y'all want to see him. And then we'll hide in the bushes on his way. And we'll jump out and kill him. And then, you know, you'll never have to deal with him again. So that's their plan. Verse 16. Who knew Paul had a nephew, <laughs> you know, and a sister? You know, this is the only place and literally uh, all we know of Paul's family. But he has a sister who has a son who somehow finds out this plan, you know, that they're going to ambush and kill Paul. So this boy runs to Paul and Paul says, hey, I need you to go tell the Roman officer. So Paul calls the Roman officer over. Again, realize his custody now is more for protection than imprisonment. You know, again, Paul can just call a Roman officer over. He speaks to them almost like an equal um, and he says, hey, this boy's got news. Um, some people debate whether this is a lack of faith, like whether Paul should just you know, shake that off and not worry about it. But Paul's not stupid, you know, and faith's not stupid either. And so he just wants the Romans to know this plan. And so now the new plan is to sneak him out of Jerusalem in the middle of the night. So they leave at nine o'clock and they're going to take him to Caesarea. Uh, that's the plan. Notice the letter that uh, Claudius uh, uh, Lysias writes there. Uh, this is the first time we find out this dude's name. I've been calling him the Tribune, you know, the Roman officer. Uh, this is the first time we find out his name is Claude. You know, Claudius Lysias, that's his name. He writes a letter to Governor Felix and just says, uh, hey, th this guy's a Roman citizen. I've been protecting him. If you read the actual letter he writes, you notice he leaves out all the details like where he arrested him and tried to beat him. <laughs> you know, anything that could get Claudius, uh, you know, Lysias himself in trouble, he conveniently leaves out of his letter. He just simply says, listen, I'm keeping this Roman citizen safe. Uh, he's under your jurisdiction. You know, it, it's something to do with religious law. I can't figure it out, but there's certainly nothing worthy of imprisonment or death. Again, I think Luke is writing something. I think the book of Acts is somehow involved in Paul's legal defense. And one more time, you have a Roman official saying, I don't see him doing anything wrong. Seems to me this is a Jewish, a little Jewish thing. Uh, I don't see anything worthy of imprisonment or, or death. So again, another verdict there that's very important. So that night they took him as far as Antipatris, uh, a, a fortress, which would be a typical stopping place, and then on to Caesarea. 
where he will be before Governor Felix. Since Paul is a Roman citizen, then again, the jurisdiction now is beyond just Jerusalem. So Claudius Lysias really isn't uh, authorized at this point to deal, to adjudicate Paul's case. And so he's moved on up the chain to Governor Felix. Uh, and that's where we'll pick up tomorrow. Chapter 24, verses 1 to 27. Like I say, it's an episode of Law and Order that, that really just continues to go on. But but I think it's interesting. Hey, if you're interested, do a little homework between now and tomorrow and uh, look up what you can learn about Governor Felix. He's a really interesting person. He's one of the few Roman officials who is a former slave. Felix had been a slave. Uh, so look him up. He's just interesting and he's very important in the story tomorrow where we'll pick up in Acts chapter 24 verses 1 to 27. Did I even say good morning? I came in like really hot <laughs> because I you know, almost forgot. So uh, anyway, if I didn't say good morning and I love you and all of that, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I love you so much. Thank you for being in the word with me. and I'll see you in the morning. Lord willing, 10 o'clock for 2 and 2. I love you all. Thanks so much. I, I appreciate you.